0: Want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning? It's good to be here, and I've just been very blessed uh, by all of the service, by the devotional and Sunday school lesson. This song here, um, "No Peace, No uh, What Was That Again? No Peace, uh, No No Justice, No Peace." Um, that goes along well with. The theme of the message this morning, and and just uh, the uh, God's working in the lives of men. This morning, I'd like to read a passage out of uh, Matthew seven, verse sixteen through twenty-nine. And I would like for us to stand to to read this passage out of reverence for the Word. Matthew seven seven sixteen through twenty-nine. Let's stand. And beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it and it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings that people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes you may be seated we came through Easter not too long ago and uh, also then going back to Christmas uh, was impressed with the authority of Christ when Christ taught, people listened. When he taught in the temple, um, just or when he was he's questioning the the uh, the scribes and the priests in the temple, uh, they listened to him. They 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 were astonished at his knowledge of Scripture and at his questions. Um, and I suppose that carried on from the time he was twelve till the time he was twenty-eight. And, and then, by that time, they were getting tired of his probing questions and his thoughts and his doctrine. The scribes and Pharisees were, and priests. But he taught as one having authority. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Us living a life of personal authority in Christ. What does the word authority conjure in your mind? Does it bring negative impressions when you think of authority? Does it remind you of someone you don't like or would rather not be around? We're seeing a lot of coverage about the abuse or perceived abuse of authority today. And some is real and I believe some is perceived. uh, Police authority and so forth. Well, I'm not here this morning to get political. But there are th- thoughts that I think probably come to our mind when we think of authority. Well, I think some thoughts that, I believe thoughts that should come to our mind when we think of authority is, are from the Word of God. It is God-ordained. Authority is God-ordained. In the beginning, God gave man authority over his creation. God created man in his own image. He gave them dominion, um, over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over every living thing that moves. In Romans, we, it talks about the authority that's given to the government to, to govern. Authority provides order, and God likes order. He's not the God of confusion. Humanity suffers, and creation suffers when there's confusion. There's an authority that supersedes all other, and that's the authority of of God. Of course, we are here this morning as Christians, kingdom citizens, and there are lines citizens of, of uh, citizens of Christ. There are lines citizens of Christ can't cross. And there are commands of Christ that will at times run counter to the commands of the earthly kingdoms. These are some thoughts I have about authority before going on, on into the message. would like for us to remember and keep in mind, our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said that or we would fight. Truth be told, we would gladly kill our enemies. If we were coming from our own carnal hearts, we would gladly kill our enemies if it weren't for our king's command to counter intuitively love our enemies. We would be disrespectful of our authorities if it weren't for our king's command to to pray for them and to love them and to obey them. And then for the times where we're placed into a situation where a earthly command would violate a kingdom command or a kingdom principle, we do have Peter's response, a gracious, humble response We ought to obey God rather than man. And you know, in that situation, Peter was so miraculously released from prison. And, you know, he could have said, he could have been really full of himself there, preaching in the temple when they came back to get him again and said, you know, we're just, we're above the law. But he didn't. He came back, he went with the authorities, he testified with about of God and then he said you know we have we ought to obey God we need to obey God in this situation I believe we commit ourselves to truth above all else graced with humility not defiance And we test our motives we must test our motives are, are they personal is it for our own agenda or is it of God I think anything done Anything done with a personal agenda or motive won't last and isn't worthwhile. Also, though, on the other side, when the blind lead the blind, there are no benefits. When the seeing lead, there will be a negative response from those who are pushing an agenda of darkness. These are just some thoughts I have about, about authority and in the, in the, in the complexity of the situation we increasingly find ourselves in in our world today. And people throughout history, Christians throughout history have found themselves in. In our commitment to light, truth, and obedience to God, we should not, we should never have a defined attitude to the earthly authority we participate in. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time And I believe, I take this, interpret this to mean try to understand those that are without. Take into consideration that they do not share kingdom values, but appreciate their thought for us. And and let them know that in as much as possible. Appreciate their thought for us, for our values, for our Christian values. Verse 6 says of Colossians 4 says, Let your speech be always graced, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Be willing to give an answer. 1 Peter 3:13 says, 313 through 15, uh, and maybe I'll just read 15, talking about suffering and Suffering for righteousness sake says to be happy, happy are ye. Be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. Verse 15, but sancti- sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So going back again to authority, how does does that pertain to us? I think we have to really really, uh, contrast it with confusion. And let's go back again to confusion. What is the scriptural definition of confusion? And I believe that's the 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 lack of God ordained authority that's where confusion comes in when there's a lack of God ordained authority in Judges twenty one twenty five that's there's the last part of the account of where uh, Benjamin was the Israelites turned uh, on Benjamin because the children of Benjamin had dealt so wrongly with one of their people and uh, Israel pretty much came. To the point of annihilating Benjamin. And in verse 25 it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And those weren't good days for Israel. Those were days of perverted men and arbitrary judgment. Um, you know, it hadn't been so long before that God had delivered Israel out of Egypt and brought him into the promised land. And here we have One of the 12 tribes nearly annihilated by the others um, because of of, uh, arbitrary justice and judgment. Instead of being a proper judicial system there, it seems like the mob spirit prevailed. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then they they tried to remedy the situation, of course, by a really confused uh, um, bringing... Brides to uh, to Benjamin to raise that seat up again, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a good time. So that's what confusion is about, anarchy, and I, I think we see that in our modern day, uh, very recent modern history. In the Middle East, we have we have uh, people, Western rulers, Western governments taking things into their own hands, putting down rulers that are in place and, and you know this is too complex as was mentioned this morning in our Sunday school lesson to fully understand, but it good things haven't happened out of the so called flowering of, of the Middle East. It seems like it's only gotten worse. Um, where governments went down, confusion came up. Well I'm not again I'm not here to focus on them, but I just want to bring in the broader picture when there's lack of God-ordained authority, there's a confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, for God is not, again says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. James 3.16 says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there in a In a broad brush, God designed authority. it's good for the creation. it's good for mankind. It prevents chaos and anarchy. But when we find ourselves in a place of confusion, you know maybe we c- we could get disappointed, we could get um, we could turn our back and say. It's just too difficult, to, to, um, too hard for us to, to work in this sort, of, this sort of situation. Or else we can go to the source of, of order and peace and exemplify Christ and live the life of godly authority that we should live and be a light. And be a witness, and that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. You know, perhaps you shudder when you think of authority. Um, as a you know, and I believe this is for everyone. Every person that reaches the age of accountability and takes Christ into their life, into their lives, in some way or other, starts assuming authority—a personal authority. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. So here's, I think, the beginning of living a life of authority. Being an example to others of what a Christian should be. Don't let someone despise your youth. We may not be able to change the world, and we're Likely not called to change the world. God will do that in His own in His own way and in His own good time. And really, when you think about changing the world as a responsibility too, too too big for any one man or woman or organization to shoulder. We hear a lot about this changing the world thing. It's it's a catchy theme. Change the world one person at a time, or change the world, you know, one step at a time, or however. Um, I don't think that should be our focus. Our focus is to be part of the divine solution. And this must happen first and foremost on a deeply personal level inside a transformation in our own hearts. And again, changing the world is only as good as it's good. A lot of changes aren't good. There are organizations everywhere with with the goals to change the world. And and some of those changes are good, possibly. But many of those organizations, the changes they're working for are out of line with Scripture and deeply, deeply flawed in their, in their uh, outcome or looking for a deeply flawed outcome. There's a better way. Um, we can change the world starting with ourselves. But I don't, I don't think that's, that's uh, so much our goal as it is to simply living a life of godly authority. And I have a few ingredients here I'd like to talk about with the time we have left to, to living this life of authority in Christ. Number one is authenticity. Authenticity is key base I believe, to, to to living a life of authority, godly authority. And it goes back to the Scripture, built on the rock. Whosoever builds on this rock, when the storms come, when the winds howl, when the water rises and hits the foundation, that person will remain. Jesus had the authority because He was author of the universe. He was incarnate. God here on earth he was authentic he is and always will be the real deal and it shouldn't be any surprise to us when jesus preached that people listened they gathered around the big crowds came the 5000 4000 and that was only the men it seemed like the crowds were probably much larger than that they listened they they wanted to hear and without doubt, this outrageous phenomenon of, of the people gathering in crowds to listen to to Christ out there in the desert or beside the seashore—you know—it must have upset and shook the 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 hierarchy, the Jewish hierarchy. But they should have understood. Uh, going back, I, I think of Psalm 103, where it talks about the identity, know that the, that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. They should have understood that there's something going on here, that Jewish hierarchy. There's something going on here. This, this, this mere man is not a mere man. He's actually the Creator. And these people are connecting with Him because they know they're co- connecting with something familiar. Their Creator. There's a link there, a very direct link. They felt a oneness with Christ. They were communicating with someone very special because they were communicating with their Creator. I believe that was the case with all of those people who really were truly seeking God, looking for God. And I believe that since the beginning of time, people have always sought for their spiritual identity. Uh, The heathens served gods. Today we have people serving gods as well. Gods of humanism. Gods of many other sorts and materialism. You can put your own word in there. Different religions looking for God. Looking for their spiritual identity. The Israeli people were addressing, uh, Jesus was addressing their... They were supposed to be serving the one true God. But at that point, their religion had become mostly form and mostly a religion. And Jesus taught something very different. He taught them, if you read through the previous passage here, the Sermon on the Mount, He taught them a relationship with God. Love the Lord your God. Jesus taught victorious loving, love, pray, forgive, bless. Something very different from what the people had heard before. And I also would believe in their hearts. The heathen weren't really seeking a relationship with their idols so much as they were seeking a relationship with God. And the Jews weren't seeking a relationship with their... the Jewish hierarchy so much as they were seeking a relationship with God and weren't finding it because their false leaders weren't really pointing them to God like they should have been. And here was a man pointing them, bringing them, drawing them to their Creator. And that's what people are still looking for today. They're still looking for their Creator. And that puts us in a very unique spot as Christians. Because anything outside of that relationship with our Creator is unsatisfactory and so we have something we have a unique authority we have a unique responsibility as christians first peter 2 5 says you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ And then in verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. When you look at that priesthood, that holy priesthood, we often read across that. Most of us know that verse by heart. We often read across that, move on through that, think that's pretty neat. You know, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so forth. But when you really stop and look at that, that royal priesthood—that's—that's—that's uh, that's, that's pretty significant. The priesthood, as you see it in, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 21, they were chosen to represent God to others. They—they uh, they, those were the people that were in charge of the of, of giving the sacraments to the to the common man. Uh, These were the people that were called to a higher level of morality. They were to marry very carefully. They were to keep their lives pure in a different way. And and Peter pulls that into the New Testament and he says, you're this people. You're this people that's supposed to be teaching, to be bringing the Word, to be showing God to others. You're a royal priesthood. And Peter, the rough fisherman, Called, educated, empowered by Christ as he's writing this letter to all true believers. And he tells us, who are in the kingdom, this is your responsibility. God has called you to this. You have an authority, a priestly authority here. But it's not of us, it's the treasure we have. Like 2 Corinthians 4 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this. Excellency of the power of God that's in us. Uh, It's a treasure we have. Not because we were born into Aaron's high priestly family or or were of the Levitical seed, but because of this treasure we have. The treasure that's alive. It's powerful, life-changing, and uncontainable. A treasure that, uh, that can't be boxed up. You can't box it up. It won't work. Uh, it would be like placing a piece sheet of metal over over grass or round up on your blueberry bush. You know, it, it if you now the treasure won't die like the grass of the blueberry bush will, it will simply leave if it's not valued, if it's not taken care of. But this treasure that we have, it's meant to to flow out of us like rivers of living water, as Jesus said. The person who is part of the kingdom of God has a spiritual authority to proclaim, to lead out of darkness, to free the captive, to present the real source of fulfillment to the searching world. He's part of that living body of foundation that it talks about in in 1 Peter. I mean, yes, in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, living stones build up a spiritual house. We have that opportunity today to, to uh, present that beautiful treasure to others and responsibility. The second point in being an effective or in, in maintaining or living the life of authority is scriptural adherence, adherence to the word, obedience, consistency. This is often overlooked. This is something we'd rather, many times, rather not really get into. Matthew 12.50 says, For whosoever does the will of my Father in Heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now it would seem the most sensible thing in the world for us to do the will of our Father. You know, if we're living stones, a royal priesthood, uh, it would seem like we would naturally, do what our Father wants us to do. We're in the family, and there's some guidelines, uh, the Holy Spirit's directing our lives, you know, it would just seem like it would all flow. And that, that's, that's great when it does, but there's a propensity in all of us to pick and choose, to be selfish, to take the what we consider the tasteful and leave the, or ignore the distasteful or inconvenient. And I believe we start losing our authority, our spiritual authority, when we begin picking and choosing. The American way, you know, pick your fruits, pick what you want, leave the rest. Don't, don't uh, take more than what, what you feel like is, is going to benefit you. I should probably say the human way. Also, whenever there's an inordinate affection for my rights, it begins denigrating our spiritual authority. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, why walkest thou not charitably? Romans 14, 15. Destroy destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lack of charity for the body of Christ denigrates, ruins our authority. A, my rights above all else syndrome destroys our authority in Christ. I say this with, with needful humility for myself. I know my proneness to protect my rights. And I believe that God will permit us, and may permit us, to cherry pick, to to move along that way, but as we become more lively, as stones in God's kingdom, He will grow us more and more into His image. He will bring things into our paths that will that will bring us more into His likeness and closer to to Him. And when we when that happens, um. Uh, we have a choice to make. Are we, going to, are we going to go our own way or will we follow God's sanctification in our lives? Or will we go along with God's sanctification in our lives and embrace it? There's a the doctrine of Balaam as well. The false prophets. The, the, uh, the one who would say, you know, compromise. Uh, do what you need to do to fit in. Uh, don't don't raise issue. Paul talks about this in, uh, Peter talks about it in Second Peter 2, 1. There are many false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they shall, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. Make merchandise of you. That's a pretty strong statement. They'll put you up for goods. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damn, damnation slumbereth not. The, the doctrine of Balaam is so tricky. And it will quickly negate our authority in Christ. I believe any fragmentation of the linear between the word, what we find in our Bible, in its commands, in our practice, any fragmentation between those two will have an equal negative effect on our God-ordained authority. In a broad sense, the evangelicals have had a difficult time making an authoritative case against the moral ills of our day, abortion, homosexuality, because they haven't been consistent in adhering to the authority of, of the word as it addresses other issues: divorce, the headship order, love for one's enemies, modesty, and may I add the greeting of charity. You know, if all of these above are simply relative, all of these that I mentioned here are simply relative. And they can easily move from those. Uh, why shouldn't abortion and alternative lifet- lifestyles be relative as well? Again, I, I'm not meaning to make this message political or address others' weaknesses, but I'm I, I want to point this out that we have this tendency ourselves to quickly want to compromise, and and uh, and even um you know not not be real clear on scriptural principle and when we do that we negate our authority in Christ and it shouldn't be one it shouldn't be one of um our testimony shouldn't be one of defiance or of or of uh meanness or any any of that sort of thing but it should be one of of a clear loyalty to scripture a clear open loyalty to Scripture, and a love for our fellow men. We have our own house to clean, to maintain, both in a personal sense and as a corporate brotherhood. And I suggest we ask God on a personal level, is there anything, any inconsistency that's fragmenting my godly authority? Is there anything that, you know, in my practice isn't lining up with the word that would negate my godly authority. Corporately, as a congregation, I believe we should ask ourselves, do we present a clear, linear light, a consistent light? Are we by a life of loving obedience and adherence to the Word of God presenting the triune Godhead to our fellow men? Again, any deviation from following and practicing the pure Word of God will bring our authority in Christ into question. And it's, it's in our best interest. It's not fun to think about these things often, but it's in our best interest as a body of Christ to have our eyes cleaned. You know, not only do we need the moat cleaned out of our eyes, but we need the gnats cleaned out of our eyes. Gnats are troublesome things. They, they, they irritate us. They bring tears. They make so we can't see clearly. We need our eyes really clearly cleaned. And then there's the other element of vibrancy. This is one that we love to hear. One we love to give. Vibrancy is a key ingredient in living the life of authority. Jesus was a vibrant man. He spoke to the crowd. He even made bread there for him. He turned the water into wine. Uh, People wanted to hear him. They came to him. They flocked around him. Are we living a vibrant life? God is, in His, God is in His work of redeeming and making us holy. It's not His will that any should perish. Not any one person should perish, but that all should have life, and you know, have life abundantly, like John 10.10 10 says. And if we're truly living that abundant life, the Holy Spirit will be faithfully speaking into our lives. And that's exactly what faithful children of Christ want. It's not going to always be the most desired or convenient voice. At times, Christ the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives will be the the very last thing we want to hear. I know that's how it is for me. However, while we're living, we won't reject the Spirit's voice. And of course, the child that's not rejected the Spirit's voice in living will of course go on to fuller living much fuller life. You know, his voice is our spiritual nutrition. The Spirit's voice is our spiritual nutrition. And in rejecting his voice, we reject our spiritual nutrition. We know what happens when we lose nutrition. We die. We can't have a form without having life. That's possible. <clears throat> I had a, uh, growing up as about a 12 year old, I had a my I, my grandfather had a farm, and had registered Morgan horses, and we rode this a lot. Rode these horses a lot. It was uh, I was privileged to have a grandfather that had a nice uh, a nice herd of horses that we could ride. Well, one day his his uh, brood mare gave birth to a young test stali- uh, stallion, a stud colt, and uh, my grandfather. Ask me, now, Gerald, would you like to buy this horse? Well, this was pretty special because <laughs> unlike rabbits, horses don't have colts very often, and so they're pretty prized when they come along. And uh, of course I was very interested, and I didn't have money, but he offered me such a good price and payment plan and so forth that finally after a couple of years of paying for him, I, he was paid off. And uh I raised him from a colt. I spent a lot of time with him, trained him he was he was stallion all the way I'd, I'd ride him, and he'd be up just rearing all the time when we were he was just full of life and energy and uh, just a fun horse to ride well i was also in the middle of by well, this by the by uh the time he was three year old four year old I was in the middle of hunting and a lot of other activities and i'd built Fence around uh, my folks' place for them. And in this, in within this enclosure were a number of oak trees. Now what I didn't understand is that oak trees and horses, acorns and horses don't mix. Or at least don't mix well. And um, I was in the it was in the fall, I was doing a lot of bow hunting, and I, I sensed something's not right with with my, with my colt, he, he was, uh, he, you know, he looked well filled, he looked filled out, looked like he was getting enough food, but he just wasn't responding like he should, but he was still a horse, he still had form, he still, you know, he still was, uh, looked like a horse and everything else, same colors, had hair, um, but something was wrong, and I just sensed it, but I couldn't put lay my finger on it. Well, I was gone again, came back again, and <clears throat> he had hay and everything he needed. Came back again uh, a few days later, and uh, called him up. He came up, but he just didn't have a spring in his step. He, you know, something was really I could tell really not right with him. And plus, his stomach was wider now, and so I called out the vet and. Uh, Come to find out he had eaten so many acorns that he was completely plugged, his digestive system wasn't respond, wasn't working, and the vet did all he could, but um, a few days later, the horse was dead he didn't make it, and uh, i didn't catch him in time what i 'm saying here is we can have we can have form and yet still be dying um, but Christ doesn't want that for us he wants us to be vibrant he wants us to have life he wants us to be alive and Christ is the great physician and his will is for us to be healed spiritually and if you're at a place where you're wandering w-o-n-d-r-i-n-g or wandering w-a-n-d spiritually I suggest you cry out to God keep calling Place your focus on the healer, not on your affliction. Your healer wants to heal, and it's His will will to heal us. We don't have enough education to heal or bring life to ourselves, but our Christ does. It is impossible for us to have life and not have form. It's impossible for us to be alive and not have form. Where there's life, there's evidence. If we're having trouble obeying the Word of God, if we're having trouble with attitudes, if the fruits are not growing, the fruits of the Spirit aren't growing in our lives, we have reason for concern. I had to think of Pharaoh this morning. There was a lot of emphasis put on the clay of good use. But you know, Pharaoh went to the point where he became a hardened man. And God still used him for His glory, but it wasn't for Pharaoh's benefit. And we don't ever want to be there. We want the fruits growing in our lives. Fruits we'd find in Galatians 5.22 The power of Christ to heal us spiritually is not simply some mystical thing that may or may not happen. We tend to think that way kind of. But it's not that way. Christ has promised to save, restore, and heal those that call on Him. And I suggest we make the healing of Christ practical. One example is this. If we're having a problem loving someone, I've had that problem. Even our enemy, there is a practical solution. Christ says to pray for them in Matthew 5.44. Pray for them. Have you tried that? It's hard to do. I read about a um, an article just here just recently about a a lady whose sister was her and her hu- her sister and her husband brother in law were killed by uh, an intruder. No no reason except that they wanted to rob them. Came and killed them. The the um, the, her sister lived for a bit, but she, and they pled with the intruder just to take what they had and leave. But no, he, he went ahead and killed them both. And uh, she was a Christian, and she her testimony was was uh, was difficult to read because you know you could just feel the the anguish there. But she came to this point. You know, what about sometimes we have trouble even loving our friends? We need to pray for them. That's a practical solution. It's not mystical. God put it there. He said, pray for your enemies. Um, And good things will happen. They have in my life when I've prayed for my enemies. Do good. Pray. Something we can do. It's a practical, something very practical that we can do. If we're missing the fruits, it's time to do... The practical divine exercises. Matthew five and six, Matthew chapter five and six will, will pretty much get us started and carry us through. If we get through all of those, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, do, so forth, um, you know, if we, if we put those practical exercises into place and have a determination to do those, uh, God will come through. He will enable us. It does call us to humility. And also, it will wean us of any inordinate lust for authority when we put that all into practice. Back to our godly authority again. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who ask you for the reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. God would have us live lives of authority. Quiet, unassuming, loyalty to God that just spills out to others when it's needed, and God will make that clear. We may never be called to preach to the thousands on the seashore, or in the temple, or clear the temple. Never, we may never be called to heal the lame or to to uh, raise, you know, to bring bring sight to the blind, as did Christ. But make no mistake: we as Christians are. Are participating in that divine power and we with that comes authority to do whatever God has called us to do we may not like the Negro spiritual says be able to preach like Peter or pray like Paul and we may not even desire to have this authority but it's given to us we're a royal priesthood you know so what if we're only or we feel like we're only the pawn on the chessboard God is not Asking us, or not looking for someone to feel big or small. He just wants someone to be willing to be moved where he wants them to be moved to in his kingdom and to do the part that he's asked him to. And to do this, we'll have to be living the abundant life. And that's really the only life that counts. That's the life that we're born to live. The flesh is short lived and will die, but our spirits for eternity. This calling is for now, it's for today, it's for tomorrow, but it's also for, again I'll say right now. It starts here. Go forth today, tomorrow, realizing that you've been authorized, given authority to be a witness to and for the king. Grow the treasure. Don't suppress it. Grow the treasure Share the knowledge of God and His high demands on His people to others. How will other people know what God's high calling is if we're not willing to share it? Express the love of God to all. Honor God by filling giving testimony to all of your thankfulness to be part of the heavenly kingdom. You and I have a personal high priestly authority in Christ. Let's use it. Let's make it work. Uh, Let's do what we can by giving ourselves to our Creator. God bless you.